Well, hello, friends, and welcome. If you're in the room, we're so glad that you're here. And if you're online, we're so glad that you're joining us from wherever it is that you find yourself. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. And uh, if you're online, go ahead and just share in the chat where you guys are watching from. And if you're in person, I'd really love us to just start engaging with one another. So why don't you look at your neighbor and tell them you look really good this morning. All right, all right. So I remember, I remember when I was a kid, I used to play a lot of Mario Kart on Nintendo 64. Anybody play Nintendo 64? I remember there was this glitch on one of the maps called Wario Stadium. It was one of the longest races in the game and the glitch was in essence a shortcut. My friend showed it to me at a very early age and essentially what you had to do was you had to hit the boost at the beginning to get your cart up to speed. And you had to move to the right and then to the left to get the angle just right. And then there were these four hills right at the beginning of the track. And you had to aim for the fourth hill. And right at the apex of the hill, you had to jump your cart and you had to turn it left. And essentially what would happen is it would kick you over the wall and you would bypass most of the map. It was awesome. The only problem with it is that it wasn't that easy to hit consistently. You, you really had to know what you were doing. And so what I did is I committed myself to the process. I spent hours days, weeks, months, it might have been years working to perfect this move. And after putting in the work, after taking the time and studying the film and being the first one in and the last one out, I can stand before you today and tell you with great pride that I did master that move. I became the king of Wario Stadium. I dominated friends and enemies alike. I showed no mercy. I made them feel small and insignificant time after time after time after time. And to this day, I regret nothing. It was incredible. <laughs> and I tell you that so that I can share two things with you. The first is this. If you put in the work and you take the time and you study the film and you strive for greatness, if you work on the fundamentals of Mario Kart, you too can take advantage of this glitch and find the shortcut on Wario Stadium and make your friends feel small just like I did. And my second point, which is arguably even more important than the first, is this. Real life is nothing like Bowser Stadium, so stop spending your life looking for shortcuts in a race that doesn't have one. Stop looking for a glitch that's going to make this race easy. This race was never meant to be easy. When it comes to the things in life that matter the most, there are no shortcuts, there are no workarounds, there are no cheat codes, there are no glitches. When it comes to the person that you want to be and the life that you want to live, there is no fast path. This is not Disneyland. You're going to have to take the long road and put in the work. Because we can all say that we want to be healthier and happier and wealthier and holier. That's not the question. I know that you want to. The question is, will you? The question is, will you take the small steps necessary to get you where you want to go? And maybe more importantly, will you take the small steps necessary to get you where God wants you to go? And that's really the heartbeat of this series. It's this question, will you? Will you try something new? Will you do what it takes? Will you shift your perspective? Will you be faithful in the little things? Will you take small steps? Will you take action? Will you trust in God? 
Will you make a change that could change the trajectory of your life? I know you want to, but will you choose the life of long obedience in the same direction over the life looking for shortcuts so that God can actually start to shape and mold you into who he created you to be? I know you want to, church, but will you? And before we get into uh, the actual text today, I just love the opportunity to pray for us. Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that when it comes to the things that matter most in life, God, instead of looking for shortcuts, you invite us to just take a step after step after step. God, that there's no shortcuts in the things that matter the most, and that doesn't make it sad, it actually makes it more beautiful. Because God, you're inviting us into a process. So God, would you help us to see that process today? Would you capture our hearts again? Would you remind us of what you're doing in the moments, God, where life hurts and where it's hard? God, would you show us a picture of what you're inviting us into so that we can once again say yes. God, we believe that you are good even though we are a fickle people. God, that you are a God who uses imperfect people just like us. God, to allow your perfect word to be heard in the world. So we love you, Lord. This is all for you. Give us humility, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear so that we can actually catch wind of what you're doing in this place. We ask this and all of God's people said, Amen and amen. So I hope you've been reading your Bibles because last week Grant made such a generous offer. He said that if he saw you in a coffee shop and you were reading the book of James that he would buy your coffee. And I was so inspired by that. I was like, wow, that is awesome. Grant is so cool. Um, So this week I was thinking, you know, how can I keep the party going? And after some thoughtful consideration and prayer and fasting, here's what I landed on. I decided that if you see me in the coffee shop and you say, hey, Brian, check it out. I'm reading James and you are being real. And there it is right there. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to buy your coffee and charge it to Grant's account. (laughs) It's generous, I know, but this is too important and you guys are just worth it. So let's do it again, church. Free coffee on Grant round two. But if you missed last week, here's what you need to know about the book of James. It was written by James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, and it was written to Christians, not people trying to figure out whether or not they're trying to put their faith into Christ. So what that means for you and for me is that this book isn't actually trying to lead us to a decision. It's not about salvation. It's actually trying to help us through a process called sanctification. And if you haven't heard that word before, don't really know what it means. Maybe you've heard it all your life and you're like, I, that's a big word. That's a, that's a rich word. But what does it mean? Here's what it means. Simply put, it's the process of learning to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. That's what it is. It's the process of learning to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. That's it. It's this process of being changed in the ways that will make our lives look more like the life of Jesus. And that's really what we're after. And last week, Pastor Grant did such an incredible job of giving us an overview of the book and actually uh, starting to move into James chapter one. And again, we're in James chapter one. The next week, we'll, we'll flip the script and go to chapter two. But today, what I'm hoping to do is to dive a little bit deeper into some of these verses and see what God might have for us here today. And so with that in mind, James one really starts by talking about perspective. He says, if you want to change your life, it starts by changing the way that you look at your life. He says in James chapter one, verse two, and this is one of my all time favorite verses. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
So just a quick word of caution about this verse. This is not the verse to pull out the moment you hear that your friend's going through a trial. This is not the verse to text a friend who has experienced loss. In fact, if you do that, there's a real chance that you could turn a current friend into a former friend real quick. Because it's all about timing with this. We're called to actually get this into our heart before we get ourselves into the trial so that we can be reminded of what God's doing. Scripture says this. It says, grieve with those who grieve. It doesn't say preach with those or preach at those who grieve. And there's a big difference. Nod your heads if you know what I'm talking about. I love it. It says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I love how he assumes that we know this. He says, because you know, here's my question. Did you know? Like, did you really know that this was and is God's process for producing perseverance in your life? Pastor Erwin McManus was talking about this and he said this, everybody wants big faith, but nobody wants big problems. The only problem is that it's only through big problems that people can develop big faith. Now, the way of saying it is in life, if you want big faith, but you don't want big problems, what's the big faith for? Like, if you don't actually have anything to overcome, why do you need this robust faith in you? And so that's God's actual way of bringing you perseverance is bringing you through trials in such a way that you know that he's faithful. Friends, there is no shortcut when it comes to perseverance. Oh, I need you to know this too. So if you're sitting here today and you're praying for bigger faith, what you're really praying for is bigger problems because that's how God gets it to you. That's, that's the real prayer because that's how God gives the gift. There is no shortcuts when it comes to perseverance. You build it step by step by moving through trials. James says you need to shift your perspective so that you can see that your trials aren't punishment. They're actually meant to prepare you and make you strong. It's the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. In Proverbs 24, verse 16, it says, Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. This is another idea that I heard from Erwin McManus, and I thought it was so profound because he says, really, at the end of the day, when we read this passage, we tend to focus so much on the positivity. We're talking about, wow, how great is it that the righteous just continue to rise? They are like rocky. They do not stay down. They just keep on getting up no matter how hard they get hit. Like, how great is it that the righteous continue to rise? But for me, maybe the more important question and the more interesting question is this, why do the righteous continue to fall? Because this verse says the righteous fall seven times, but it's actually worse than you think. Because that number seven in scripture is the number of completion, which means that we're not just going to fall, we're going to fall completely short of God's plan for our life. We're not just going to fall, we're going to fall over and 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 over. That's why we need to be made strong, because there is no end to the amount of times that we are going to fall this this uh, side of eternity. This is what it means. So what's the good news? The good news is that according to scripture, no matter how many times you fall, God still wants to use you. No matter how many times you fall, God's heart is still directed towards you. God still has a plan for your life. God is not finished with you. The good news is that it doesn't matter how many times you fall because righteousness is not decided by the amount of times that you fall. It's decided by how many times you get back up. Can I get three amens? So James said to count it as joy when you meet trials, because it's through those very trials 
that there will be built up in you the muscle of perseverance that's necessary to stand up again. Because what it means to be righteous isn't that you don't fall, it's that you continue to get back up and choose God. It's about perspective. Let's keep moving. Here's the next idea. Change happens when we ask God for help. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I wanted to share this idea honestly because there's a whole, there's not a lot of places in Scripture where God will give you a guarantee, and this is one of those places, and when I find one, I tend to cling to it. And this one, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, ask God, and not only will he give it to you, he will give generously without finding fault. So God's not looking for fault so that he can give you a smaller portion of wisdom. He's saying anyone, anyone who asks me, I will give it to them. You just have to ask in faith. Friends, that's how good our God is. He says, if you need wisdom, I'm right here, ask. If you need perspective, I'm right here, ask. He says, I'm not hiding from you. If you need insight, ask. If you feel stuck right now, ask. If you don't even know what to ask for, ask anyway, because God is so good that he will direct your thoughts and he will help you identify what you need to ask for. This is how good the God is that we are worshiping today. Friends, when's the last time that you really seeked after God and asked for his wisdom? Because I need you to know this. If you do that, he will be faithful to give it to you and give it to you generously. This is the word of God. Let's keep moving. My next idea is this change happens when we listen more than we speak. This one's hard, but in, in James 1, verse 19, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, I like the ESV. It says, uh, just the, the beginning part of it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. And it says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But I love how that starts. Know this. This is a bid for your attention. There's some urgency in this. James is saying, know this. Take note of this. Listen up. This is important. I need you to hear this. And he tells us what we need to do. He says, my beloved brothers, be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry, which is just good wisdom. And Lord knows we know this. I think Grant said it last week, but we need to hear it again this week. It's the kind of wisdom that you don't just need weekly. You don't just need yearly. You need hourly. If you've ever been on social media for more than 15 seconds, you know that this is true. And James is saying, change doesn't happen when people speak over one another. It happens when they listen. Learning doesn't happen when we look for opportunities to speak. It, it happens when we look for opportunities to listen. He's telling us, if you want to become more like Jesus, here's what you need to do. Listen more and talk less. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. But here's what's interesting about verse 19. We read it and we tend to skip over these two words that, in my opinion, are the most two important words in this entire chapter. Notice he doesn't say, know this, be quick to listen and slow to speak. He says, know this. Then he says these two words, my beloved. He says, know this, my beloved. And that word beloved in the original Greek is the word agapitas which means esteemed, favorite, worthy to be loved. He says, know this, my agapitas, know this, beloved. 
And that root of the word is the word agape, which is the ultimate expression of God's love for you. And why I share this is sometimes this book of James gets such a bad rap because it focuses so heavily on what we're supposed to do. But I need you to know right now that James never tells us what to do before he tells us who we are. He says, we are agapetas. We are esteemed. We are worthy to be loved. It's like he's saying, before I give you a list of things to do, we will get there. But before I give you the list, I need you to know that you are esteemed. You are God's favorite right here as you sit. No matter what you're going through, you are worthy and you are beloved of God. And the good news is that you already have the thing that you're trying so desperately to earn. The good news is that we're not working for God's love. We're actually working from God's love. But from God's love and out of God's love and because of God's love, I do need you to hear this and hear it clearly. We are invited to respond to God's love and actually do something about it. And that's where this book is so brilliant because it doesn't stop there. It says, and so because of what we know about God's love for us, we're actually called to share God's love and show God's love and bring God's love to the world in powerful and tangible ways. Verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. We'll come back to that. It says, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but actually doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So in this passage, God is really likening his word to a mirror. And for the longest time, I never understood that correlation. I never understood how a Bible was like a mirror. But what I've learned is that a Bible is actually something that's meant to show us a picture of who we are. When we read it, when we remember, and we actually engage with it, we actually see who we were created to be in the pages. So it's like a mirror. The Bible is meant to accurately reflect back to us what we look like. But here's what I need you to know about mirrors, and this might sound simple and rudimentary, and I've talked about this before, but we're going to do it again because this is, in my opinion, one of the most powerful and important uh, things that we need to understand when it comes to engaging with Scripture. So this might might sound simple, but we actually need to to hear this again. Here's what I need you to know about mirrors. Looking into the mirror doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't change anything. When I look into the mirror, it doesn't make me any prettier doesn't make me any healthier, doesn't make me any happier, doesn't make me any wealthier, it just shows me a picture of what is. And here's what that means. If I see that I've got an eyelash in my eye, looking into the mirror isn't actually going to get it out. It's just going to give me the context so that I can do some of that digging, so I can do what I need. It actually gives me a picture so that I can have the context needed to do something about it. And so what I need you to know is that it's not the mirror's job to fix my problems. It's the mirror's job to actually cast light on and give me context and actually show me my problems so that they can actually be brought into the light and they can be fixed. And here's why that matters. It matters because sometimes I think that we misunderstand what this book is actually meant to do in our lives. 
Sometimes I think we view this Bible as if it's this magical book that changes people, but here's the truth. The Bible doesn't change people. It shows people what needs to be changed. It's actually the activation and the application of the Bible. It's the living out of God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit that changes people. If you want to be changed by this book, it's not enough to read it. We actually have to do what it says. We have to direct our life in the way that it actually tells us to, if we actually want to experience the change that it promises Friends, I need you to know this. These pages won't save you. It's the Jesus that you find in these pages that'll save you. You see, a lot of us think if we just spent a little bit more time in the word of God that we would just uh, be changed. But I need you to know that's not the primary role of scripture. It's actually to show us a picture of what needs to be changed. And it's the same idea in Psalm 119 when David says this. I think we've heard this scripture quite a bit. It says, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that got me thinking because if it's a light into your path, what that means is that the word of God can illuminate. It can reveal the path in front of you. It can show you the snares. It can show you where to step and where not to step. But you need to know this about a light. If you shine a light on where you go, that doesn't get you there. You actually have to get to stepping. If it shows you the snares, you still have to do the work of moving around those stairs and moving in the direction of God. Friends, there's no shortcut when it comes to getting where you want to go in life. Just because you have a conviction in your heart doesn't mean that anything is going to change in your life. You actually have to do something about your conviction. I'll be honest, I don't really care that much if you walk out of here with a more robust understanding of the book of James. I mean, don't get me wrong, that would be great. That would be the cherry on top. I'm all for that, but I know this. Knowledge for the sake of knowledge is pointless. All it does is puff us up. And the only thing I care about is this. Are you going to do anything about it? Am I going to do anything about this? Are we collectively going to do anything about this? Sometimes we do this thing where people will say, great message, pastor, really hit me in the heart with that one. I'm going to be thinking about that all week. And I want to say, no, you're missing the point. Don't think about it. Do it. Don't think about it. Don't consider it. Actually activate it in your life so that people's lives around you are better and people can see Jesus through you. I feel like as Christians, we need to actually think less and do more. We know enough. We keep looking at books as if they're going to just unlock something in us. We need to apply the last book that we read, not read another book. We need to actually be convinced of the fact that Jesus has empowered us. And if we know that, we can be a force of nature in this world. That's why scripture says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. It says, do what it says. It says, do what it says. This week, these verses got me thinking about football. Which, for the record, is not abnormal. Most things this time of the year get me thinking about football. And uh, I've got a couple fantasy drafts that are coming up, so I would appreciate your prayers. That would be much appreciated for those. that I would make wise decisions so that I can dominate my leagues. But in all honesty, I felt like God gave me this picture. I I mean, go with me here. It's like, what if there was a football team and on Sundays they would gather around and huddle up and listen to the coach's speech and they would call out the plays, but as soon as the huddle broke, instead of lining up the play, they would go home and talk about whether or not they thought the coach's speech was good. And the next week they would come again and they would huddle up and they would get all inspired. But as soon as the huddle broke, they would hit the showers and head home feeling like they'd actually accomplished something special. 
What if this team thought that the game of football was just a series of huddles and speeches? And they failed to see that all the huddles and speeches were all actually meant to point them towards the main event, which is the game. Because here's what I know, friends. Every week we are committed to, I want to bring the best message I can for you. I want to sing the best songs. We want to set the table, but I want to be clear. If you think that you can just come and simply hear the word of God and sing some songs and be changed, scripture says this, you are deceiving yourself. You actually have to put it into practice. That's what real wisdom is. It's not knowledge. It's the application of the knowledge. We have to put it into practice. And don't get me wrong. The huddle isn't bad. It's good. It's necessary. It's helpful. I love the huddle. But if that's all we do, friends, if if that's the extent of it, then we're not taking what we hear and putting it into practice. Then we're missing the whole point of what the huddle was meant to do, which is to send us out on mission. James is saying this, I don't care how much scripture you know, I care how much scripture you live. He's saying, I don't care how many books you've read. All I really want to know is this, how are you treating people? How are you meeting needs? How are you being generous? How are you loving people? How are you serving? Because if the lives of the people around you aren't better because you know Jesus, And I'm going to tell you right now, friends, you are doing it wrong. Friends, some of you need to get in the game because we need you. We need you to stop talking about love and start being love. We need you to stop talking about forgiveness and start forgiving people. We, We need you to stop talking about community and actually start building community. We need to stop hearing about needs and actually start meeting needs because it's through meeting needs, it's through loving people that not only are they changed, so are we. That's how God shapes us and changes us. It's not when we read, it's when we do what we read. When it comes to this, there are no shortcuts, my friends. You have to do the work. And maybe you're like me and you're thinking, but what if I fail? What if I fall down? Here's the good news. God expects you to fail and God expects you to fall down. It's not God who's expecting perfection out of you. It's you. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise up. The problem's never that you fell. The problem's that you stayed down and God sent me here today to tell you that it's time to get back up and get in the game. Time to say, God, I'm choosing you again. God, redeem me. God, forgive me. God, I'm ready to be used by you again. Thank you for your grace. And maybe you're like me and you get stuck because you don't know how to start. Because the first step is always the hardest, isn't it? And if that's you, I want you to know I've thought a lot about this question. And here's the best advice I've ever come up with. And get ready for it because it's pretty good. I don't like to brag, but this is pretty, pretty good. The only way to start is to start. Profound, I know. I thought of it myself. (laughs) But it's true. The only way to start is to start. The only way to do is to do. The only way to serve is to serve. The only way to love is to love. The only way to try is to try. The only way to be stretched by God is to take that first step and be stretched. The only way to become uncomfortable is to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. 
There are no shortcuts when it comes to becoming the person that God created you to be. This is not Wario Stadium. Nobody's going to do it for you. And I'm sure that you could find a million reasons not to. But the only way to start is to start. The only way to love is to love. And when you take that first step, my friends, let me tell you what happens. It says in Zechariah 4, verse 10, it says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. It doesn't say he rejoices to see the work completed. He's the completer. He says, for the Lord rejoices when you take that first step, when the work begins. So I don't know if you know where to start, but I need you to, t- I need you to know that you've got to start somewhere. Start anywhere. Start small. Start with fear and trembling. But for the love of God, start because the Lord rejoices when he sees the work begin. And I've been praying all week that today would be a day of new beginnings and fresh starts and next steps and new steps that would actually get people closer to the work that God's trying to do in and through them. But for that to happen, for that to become a reality in this church, each of us needs to ask ourselves a simple question. That question is, what is the step that God's inviting me to take today? What have I heard that God's now inviting me to do? Because we're not just hearers of the word, we're doers of the word. And maybe God's already put something on your heart while we've been talking. Maybe uh, it's something at work. Maybe it's something at your kid's school. Maybe there's somebody that God brought to your heart and to your mind. And it's uh, on the docket for you that today's the day that you forgive them. Today's the day that you reconnect with them or you connect with them or you encourage them. Today's the day that you love them in the way that they need to be loved. That's you. Do it. We're going to be cheering for you every step of the way because we're not just hearers. We are doers of the word of God. That's how people's lives get changed. But on the other side of things, maybe you have no idea what God's asking you to do. You just got a hunger. I want to do something. I want to be a part of the solution. We put our hands up a few, uh, maybe it was a month ago or so. It's like we actually want to be a part of the solution to the problems that we see in this world. And if that's you and you have a hunger, you want to engage, you want to meet needs. We actually want to be somebody who actually helps you through that process. If that's you, we want to help. We want to provide you with avenues and outlets to say yes to Jesus. So as you leave today, here's what you're going to see. There's going to be some pub tables out in the commons. There's some incredible volunteers who want nothing more than to connect you with meaningful opportunities to serve right here at Christ the King. Maybe you've been attending CTK for a while and God's knocking on your door and saying it's time to take that next step and to give. It's time to get your head out of the huddle and actually get into the game. And if that's you, I want to challenge you to have that conversation before you leave today because we all know how easily and quickly great intentions fall to the wayside the second we get out into the parking lot. And the good news is this, if you're feeling a pull to serve, we've got opportunities to serve. And if you're feeling a pull to meet needs, we've got needs that need to be met. One of the things that we say here at Christ the King is there's always a place for you. And that doesn't just mean that we have a place for you to sit. It means that we have a place for you to serve. It's not just a place for you to hear the word of God. It's a place for you to do what the word is telling you to do. To to, to live out, to be that application person who actually doesn't just put it in their pocket. They actually live it. 
And so if you already know how you want to serve, or if you're joining us online, you can go to serve.ctk.church and get connected right there. There's over a dozen ways and areas that you can actually serve that range from children's to hospitality to worship. There's all sorts of facets, coffee, whatever your wiring is, we have opportunities for you. But if you don't know where to start, I just want to challenge you. Would you ask somebody? Would you have that conversation? Because they really would love to help. Not just because we need the help, but because we need to be the people who are saying yes to God because that's how we get shaped. Church, God is inviting us not just to listen, but to do. Not just to hear needs, but to meet needs. Not because we need to earn God's love, but because we already have it. Amen. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing one last song. And I want to invite each of you during that time to be asking God and wrestling with, what is God inviting me to do today? What's my next step of faithfulness? How can I get uncomfortable? How can you build up something new in me? I know you want to, church, but will you? Let's pray. Holy Spirit. I believe that you are working in and working on each and every one of us right now in this moment. We acknowledge your spirit. God, help us to hear. Help us to have the clarity that we need. If it's not clarity, help us to have the boldness to take a step. To say, maybe I've been in this huddle for a while, but I want to get in the game because I know that you're calling me to more. God, that you're not interested in my comfort. You're interested, God, in my calling. God, in my character, will you show me what it looks like to not just be a hearer of the word, to not just think these ideas are great, but to be somebody who lives them out in such a way, God, that people can see you, that people can fall in love with your love. God, that people can be transformed into your image and your likeness, not because we're good, but because they can see good working through us and that good is named Jesus. God, send us out. We love you, but God, we need your help. We are nothing without you. So for each of my brothers and sisters in this room, again, we ask, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see that next step of faithfulness you're calling us to today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you stand with me? We're going to actually respond by singing this song and wrestling with what faithfulness looks like right now. Let's worship.